And boom, we are live. Welcome back to another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winter, and I'm here with Dr. Bear Paul Lando from Alpha Vedic. And we are back after a couple-week hiatus. It's good to be back on uh, AlphaCast. How are you doing today, Bear? Doing good, Mike. It's good to be back up north here, uh, behind the wall with the wild people. So uh, had a good stay down in uh, Southern California. You know, good family stuff and everything, as you know, is going on. New addition to the family. And uh, boy, when you get back up north, though, after being in Southern California, you just, uh, my first impulse is to get out of the car and kiss the ground when I get home. <laughs> Man, do I know that. Uh, for those that are new to uh, our channel and, and the podcast, um, we, uh, we live up in the Six Rivers National Forest. Bear and his wife and the Alpha Vedic Farms are based off the South Fork of the Smith River in an off-grid area. So they are fully off-grid. He's coming to us via direct satellite link. And then my family and I have a um, uh, developing into a small homestead here. We've got little chickies upstairs uh, that we're raising that will be up uh, outside soon and uh, bees on the way. And uh, But yeah, we made the move here from LA four years ago. And uh, I praise every day that I'm here. So um, we uh, bear uh, shot down to uh, Los Angeles uh, to celebrate uh, some new life in the family. And that was very exciting. And uh, we're so happy to have you back up here because we got lots of work to do. Yeah, we're starting uh, a work crew tomorrow, first work crew of the season. So we're uh, a lot of hole digging tomorrow because I got to bury some posts for new chelsis for the expansion of our main herbs that we grow here uh we gotta clear a whole area that you know we have in the back that has bamboo we're gonna get rid of that and that's gonna be a big ashwagandha patch we've got astragalus going a uh, whole bunch of other stuff and then the chow gulan vines uh the new ones that we planted last year uh and then what we're gonna do this year will i'm hoping at least quadruple our production for next year, and then we'll be able to start picking uh, midsummer, and then we'll start making um, tinctures and spagyrics uh, from live plant matter. I prefer that over using uh, dry plant matter. So, in yeah. the meantime, uh, we have a lot of good dry herbs for our teas and everything, which are awesome. Yeah, and we'll do a whole show on spagyrics. And there's actually the book Spagyrics that I was just referenced uh, by a friend again. I got to order and read. Uh, but it's a it's alchemy and it's in a way right and it's uh, absolutely uh, amazing technology and something that's going to be really exciting to integrate into our product line and everything we're all about. So, um, but that's a uh, you know something that we can do a whole alpha cast on. And today's topic is the brilliant royal rife and those that uh, follow us and that are. Avid supporters of Alpha Vedic are already probably pretty aware of Royal Rife, but for those that aren't, um, we're going to give a brief overview of who he was and, and um, everything that he did and all the characters involved in this story uh, that took place during the 20th century and really was, um, I, it would be an amazing Hollywood film if somebody could capture this, the entirety of this story. It's, it, it's a uh, Shakespearean uh, tragedy in many ways, but also something that um, 
Yeah, uh, is so powerful in terms of um, the effects that that still resonate from uh, his achievements and his inventions. And I would say today, Royal Rife's uh, lasting, um, uh, you know, uh, legacy is is coming to fruition more than ever. And we'll kind of go over that and and what's going on right now with Royal Rife. But um, yeah, let's jump right into who he was and and what uh, what what marvelous inventions he brought to the forefront. Uh, you know, he was. It's a good follow-up from our Bouchamp versus Posture series that we did because it relates to kind of handing off the baton, right, if you will, from what Bouchamp was doing and discovering really the basis of pleomorphism, which is the fact that microorganisms like bacteria actually uh, shift and change through different cycles inside organisms, and that this is what um, the true nature of microbiology is and how his ideas were countered by Louis Pasteur and his cronies and the what became the creation of allopathic medicine and big pharma. So if anybody's interested in that series, we did two uh, podcasts on Louis Pasteur versus Antoine Bouchamp, and it kind of created the monomorphism versus pleomorphism debate there. Uh, so I will drop in the show notes links to that. Uh, but uh, yeah, Royal Rife, um, he kind of took on um, a lot of these ideas in the early turn of the 20th century. And uh, around 1917 to 1920, he really started developing a new microscope so that he could see uh, these, uh, these smaller pleomorphic entities, these organisms, um, as they were changing. And uh, he developed what is now known as the Rife Microscope. Uh, and uh, Bear, have you had any dealings with, uh, with his microscope at all in your practice? Um, no, I wish. And I don't know anybody that has because that his microscope, which worked at a much greater resolution, uh, has been pretty much, you know, it's somewhere in the, uh, in the warehouse of the Raiders of the Lost Ark there. You know, somebody's got it. Um, I worked with uh, somatoscopes, which uh, when I learned from Gaston Naissons uh, a long time ago, uh, he had a very uh, fine quality kind of um, uh, variation of a dark field microscope. I have my own uh, phase contrast dark field microscope. And what we lack in resolution that, you know, Rife's true genius was he was an amazing engineer and he developed these optics that nobody else has been able to duplicate. But with my microscope, uh, we get around that in certain ways and that we can, um, you know, to blood sample slides that we can't see as up close, you know, like the protids that you were describing. Uh, we can't see them at the same resolution. On the other hand, we can do things uh, indirectly to uh, prompt them to go through different cyclic changes and things that then tells us uh, very much about what we're actually looking at. The other thing I'll, I'll add here real quick and then let you go on. Um, when you're talking about proteids, that is a terminology developed by the uh, original German microbiologist Enderlein and, and the people that followed. 
And that was my original schooling in the old German method. And, and to this day, you know, the best. And unfortunately, that, uh, that technology, that uh, microbiology is, uh, as far as I know, not available, you know, because all those guys are gone. And, and uh, the first tier people that learned from the originals like myself uh, are mostly uh, retired or, or uh, you know, already made the journey themselves. But the when you talk about proteids, you're talking about little protein seed organisms that live inside of us that then go through cyclic changes to accommodate jobs that they're assigned to do that all starts from a trigger within the central nervous system. And this trigger in the central nervous system is actually... Uh, instigated by another level, we'll just loosely say the psyche, that gets into another whole level way beyond Rife that we have to say for another time. But that's been proven out. And that gets in the realm of new German medicine. But proteids are just one uh, of uh, a number of communities of organisms that we can call recyclers in our body and that they they are nature's little cleanup committee for our internal ecosystem but then to that mix you have to uh, also understand that rife just wasn't looking at those he was looking at um what he called virus which now we have a, a common understanding of virus which is uh in my opinion absolutely wrong and uh, as you know, Mike, yourself with your research, pictures of virus and, and, and so forth are just uh, CGI mock-ups. They're, they're not even real pictures. So, you know, you don't even see them. And then when you go in and get a positive on a, you know, hep C or a, uh, HIV or, you know, any, anything, they're not testing directly for the presence of virus. They're testing for antibodies that have theoretically been assigned to that um, theoretical virus. And they do that by saying, well, okay, a lot of people with certain syndromes of symptoms tend to present with high titers of these antibodies. And uh, it, it fits their narrative of a uh, virus, uh, you know, creating the whole shebang in the first place. And so the point of my story is, is all this is indirect, circumstantial, and uh, not at all proving out or demonstrating the, the presence of uh, organisms that, you know, we have come to know as viruses. Uh, there's uh, also to complicate things further, there's uh, a number of manufactured organisms that are prevalent. Uh, most uh, recently, we're seeing the presence of coronavirus, which maybe we can talk about that later if we have time or not. Oh, oh we will. And, and that's no different than uh, um, AIDS, which is not caused by HIV. And, you know, of course, that's my opinion, but I would, uh, there's no way when you know enough and when you understand the language of genetic uh, engineering and that kind of thing, you, you just know that it's, it's uh, not the cause of AIDS. Uh, but again, their little test as far as um, circumstantial antibody titers of, 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 of retrovirus, they then term HIV. Uh, and, and Gallo, who was the so-called discoverer, he was another stooge just like um, 
just like Pasteur. But anyway, they, you know, they create a disease in a number of ways, which is another huge story as far as what AIDS really is, what coronavirus really is and so forth. And um, then they need a boogeyman to, to blame it on, you know, just, just like we go off to war and, and, and get the, uh, you know, the terrorist when in fact, you know, it's our own peeps out there, you know, creating the whole mayhem in the first place. So, you know, HIV viruses, these things are, they're good, um, they're good dupes to, you know, blame everything on and get people looking in one direction while they're actually doing other things. So you've got viruses, uh, and it is speculation. I don't know exactly, uh, and, and nobody really knows uh, what we think of as viruses, what they really are. Um, there seems to be a lot of evidence, and I kind of agree with this, that what we consider viruses are self-fragments. And when I do... Uh, laboratory testing on people, one of the things I do is I look at uh, something we call cell debris, and I like to see if there's a normal amount of cell debris, because uh, cells are dying all the time, and then they're eliminated, and then depending on the testing, I can tell if a normal amount are dying, if too many are dying, if the body's clearing them, you know, and, and it tells you a lot about the health of a body. But when these uh, cell fragments become uh, overly abundant, then... Uh, without getting too deep into it, they can become parasitic and bring down the energy level of all the other cells. And um, when you look under a dark field, which is a, more of a crude version microscope of what Rife was using, but again, very useful if you know how to use it and how to extrapolate and how to do indirect uh, uh, um, or things to you know find out things that he knew about, only we do it indirectly, but very accurately. Um, you see parasitized uh, red blood cells, and they look like bullseyes. You know, they have a big dark center, and that's where a lot of these things are brewing. You know, the proteids are being manufactured from the inside out. And also, when there's a lot of those uh, target cells, we call them, then uh, it also tells you that there's a lot of other things going on, including a lot of cell debris that's not getting cleared from the body and that brings the milliamperage of all the cells down to a level below 70 milliamps or so in the central nervous system uh, below 90 you need to be above 90 in central nervous system that central nervous system health and then uh, the rest of the healthy cells uh, uh, fall prey to uh, all of these conditions that Rife was uh, talking about, uh, the reason why people are succumbing to coronavirus and, and everything else. So we don't want to just talk about proteids. We don't want to just talk about viruses the way Rife described them. We don't want to talk about viruses the way conventional medicine describes them. Uh, and we also have to acknowledge the presence of manufactured bioweapons because they are most definitely bioweapons. And, uh, you know, Lyme's is another great example. And, of course, that stemmed off of the research that was done in the 50s where um, our brilliant scientists, medical scientists, were um, introducing syphilis into uh, males of the black population and learning uh, a lot about um, these spirochetes that, you know, are implemented in syphilis. And then, you know, Lyme's is 
a manufactured syphilis byproduct that originated way back when they started that research. So, um, you know, that's, of course, the average doctor and, and people working in hospitals uh, don't know about all this, but in the hierarchy of the AMA, uh, the same ones uh, that um, were represented by people like Morris Fishbane, who's the guy that destroyed Royal Rife in his life, they know full well what they're doing. And that brings you all the way back to their origins within the Royal British Society and eugenics, which is um, more developed and alive today more than ever before. So there's a lot of stuff for you to think about there, Mike. Any comments? Well, yeah, and this is why we chose the Rife story because I think it encapsulates all of this in one. Not only does it encapsulate the rise of virology and, and the virus, but also the rise of the AMA uh, in connection with the Rockefeller Institute uh, and um, all the cast of characters involved, which um, like any great Hollywood movie, like any, you know, I, I was saying to a friend, this is like an Oliver Stone movie. I feel like, you know, if he made this movie, it'd be amazing. Cause it wasn't just like it's Royal Rife. Who's this kind of obscure fellow in history there was some big time actors involved on Royal Rife's side. And uh, we'll talk about these guys. I mean, probably the most powerful physician in Los Angeles at the time uh, was backing up Rife, Dr. Johnson. Uh, and then of course you had Dr. Kendall. In fact, here I'll do a quick little screen share here. You can see a picture of these guys. These were really you know, brilliant doctors and scientists on his side. And with the other cool thing about the Royal Rife story is that um, you have um, considerable documentation of Royal Rife because he, you know, what he was doing was so brilliant that um, we have a plethora still, luckily, saved, scanned um, uh, newspaper articles from San Diego, the LA Times. Uh, there's a famous Smithsonian article, which we can talk about where, uh, and that was in the early 40s, uh, where the author of that actually had, uh, he was shot at and he was so harassed that he um, quickly uh, gave up on following uh, the whole story. There's a, you know, so while we have amazing people with Royal Rife here, and if, if you can see here, I'm showing we have Dr. Kendall, Dr. Johnson, and Dr. Rife. So Dr. Johnson was like a superstar physician in Los Angeles at the time who saw the power of what Rife was inventing and saw that you know, he was sick of the scourge of cancer and wanted to use this technology to save the world, save humanity from cancer. Dr. Kendall was a brilliant microbiologist who actually discovered a medium that could actually harbor these, uh, what they call the viruses on a, in, a, in a way that uh, allowed them to study them better and also figured out what they called filterable bacteria where they could filter the bacteria down into a smaller state, which we would call protids or virus or whatever, which is what they called. So he was doing things that were also just unbelievable at the time. And these three powerhouses of science joined together. So it wasn't like we're talking about some obscure guy who is a quack. No, these, this, was, this was big time. And so in, as in kind of paralleling what you were talking about in terms of the AMA, we had Fishbine, and we also had uh, other characters involved that were to kind of pit their powers against these guys. 
and um, the you know the big thing about the creation of the understanding of virus is like Dr. Thomas Rivers. He was a uh, he was kind of a big um, uh, villain in this story, if you will, uh, in the terms of how he um, essentially developed the idea of of, of the whole separate um, academic study of viruses. And uh, of course, he was from the Rockefeller Institute, and we know from our you know podcasts and what we talk about how the Rockefellers have injected massive capital into maintaining everything from eugenics to um, the narrative about uh, the the need for allopathy and big pharmaceutical uh, technologies that relate all back to petrochemical industry and everything they had their hands in, and so they're a big player in this story. And so anyways, uh, you, what's, what's amazing in this Rife story is that we have really the, the microcosm of the macrocosm you were just mentioning is that everything involved with this man's life really is reflecting on the grander storylines we see all around us still to this day. And you know, to dig into Royal Rife a bit, this man really was a genius. I would say he was on the, on the same level of like a Tesla or Walter Russell easily. And, um, you know, it's, it's quite fascinating that uh, you're saying that we still, to this day, like, so he started working on the microscope in 1917. And what he did is he developed a means to use different prisms to um, capture uh, a massive uh, magnitude of, uh, or excuse me, a, a magnification that was 30,000 times uh, what they, the current light microscopes could then. And this prism technology that he developed, it's all analog, of course. This is in the 1920s that he developed this. And so one of the problems they had and still have to this day is that in order to see these things that small, they have to they use a staining technology. And what we have with the invention of like the electron scanning microscope in the 40s is that the way that they stain these, these things, everything has to be dead, essentially. It kills the microorganism. So... Um, what he was able to f figure out was a way to actually um, uh, use this new microscope so that he could see these unseeable microorganisms with a light that matches the frequency of their chemical constituents or what of their actual frequency. So this all relates to frequency, and we now know that frequency is everything. It's the waveforms of life. It's the waveforms of reality. And so... Uh, he, in his utter genius, was able to figure this out through, uh, let me see if I can find a picture of the microscope. Uh, but he was able to actually do this with this microscope that has like, what, over 5,000 parts. And it really is a, um, a, just a fascinating invention that, uh, as we'll cover briefly, was in the end destroyed. He had his offices raided. <laughs> Uh, he had uh, everything, a lot of his records destroyed. The other lab in New Jersey that was putting millions into the technology, they were, when they were out uh, on vacation, came back to, to find their place vandalized in the 1940s and everything, you know, broken and destroyed. So uh, let's see here. I wanted to show quickly some. So this site I'm looking at right now is called rifevideos.com. And it's a good archive. I feel like they're pretty legit in terms of them archiving everything in terms of Royal Rife. And they've got, uh, actually have audio of Royal Rife talking on this site that you can listen to. 
Um, and uh, they've got uh, all sorts of galleries here of, um, of everything involved with his work and, uh, and how he kind of, uh, from his child, literally from his childhood all the way up to uh, his last days. And, uh, and uh, basically, uh, so we'll, we'll drop these links in the, uh, in the uh, show notes. But um, the, the Rife microscope was something that uh, allowed him to, for the first time, allowed someone like Dr. Kendall, who was able to isolate these uh, quote-unquote viruses through his own um, uh, technology, uh, allowed Dr. Kendall to actually finally see what theoretically he knew was happening. And it was just so groundbreaking that um, uh, Dr. Johnson, uh, who was... Um, at the time, uh, the head of uh, at uh, University of Southern California Medical Institute um, was so blown away. He he basically made it his life mission to get funding uh, for uh, this technology. Uh, and go ahead. And it's it's interesting that uh, there were abundant headlines in San Diego local papers and uh, throughout the country, actually. Uh, talking about Rife's discoveries, his success clinically, how he was uh, reversing so-called cancer. And when you go back to those archives now, even though there are available scanned images, as you already said, the archives have been expunged and it's like that never appeared in the papers in the first place. So they, you know, the media arm did a, a great job in just erasing all that history. Um, you know, an uh, important thing I just want to emphasize that you said, Mike, is that uh, the microscope allows things to be visualized in their live, a live form, and the microscopes that some of us still use, it's the same thing. Now, if you go on to, uh, you know, the internet and do some uh, research about dark field microscopy, you'll, you know, get all sorts of things trying to debunk it and say, oh, it's quackery and so forth. But all we're doing is seeing blood cells and smaller organisms uh, that we're alluding to here in their live form. And, and I just ask anybody in medicine, let's just say you're from a different planet and you, you arrive here and you want to understand a little bit more about what a dog is, would you rather uh, go get a dog at the pound and play with it and live with it and and experiment that way, or would you like to go get an old grease spot on the highway somewhere of a dog that got run over, you know, months ago and scrape that off and try to figure out what a dog is from that? So that's what a lot of medicine is. It's, it's all about, uh, you know, the death process, the disease process, and really uh, failing to, and uh, in, in actually wholesale avoid, uh, studying what life is all about and you know um i don't want to interrupt mike i want you to finish that because you're doing a great history for us um the thing that whenever you bring up rife it becomes a bit of a hand-wringing exercise because uh very true uh if his um technology was allowed to exist millions of people would have uh, not had to have to go through needless suffering and death and, and all the toll that that takes on families. Uh, I, I experienced that myself when I was a kid, when my mom got sick when I was nine years old, and I just 
uh, saw a very proud woman uh, just tortured by the system and then finally succumb not to cancer but to the treatment. And uh, you know what it what it does is just unspeakable. Uh, and and people that do survive, you know, what we call cancer survivors. Most of the time, they're chemo survivors, and and you know that's that's the reality of it. Uh, people that can withstand that treatment, have that kind of constitution, and survive it, you know, and it takes a strong constitution to do that. Uh, even if you so-called buy a few years, uh, you know, you're really not, and and that's not the way it works. And they know it. And even oncologists now behind the scenes, you know, people like myself talk with oncologists, you get a whole different discussion than, you know, when you go in with the diagnosis and they're uh, trying to shame you into some or, or fear bait you into some kind of treatment. So, uh, sorry, I always go into rants because I've had a lot of personal experience, you know, thousands of people over the years in my uh, clinical days where, you know, we saw uh, both sides. We saw people that would succumb to the treatment and would come to people like myself to kind of hedge their bets and, uh, and, and hope that if you played both sides of the fence, you'd have a good outcome. Uh, but we're still too afraid to just jump uh, fully into, um, uh, you know, real biological medicine with proven results and go to the conventional approach with proven results in the opposite direction. And uh, then you'd have uh, fearless people that would just say, you know, intuitively, it doesn't make sense to poison myself. I'm not into self-sacrifice. And they would in, instead educate themselves as far as how cancer is not a disease. And, um, and they would, uh, you know, with the help of somebody like myself, uh, retrace the breadcrumbs that got them there. And, and take care of those reasons. And then, I mean, in the high 90 percentiles, those people got better, uh, not from a disease, but turned around the reason why the body had to trigger that biological process that's been come to know as uh, known as cancer in the first place. So uh, related back to Rife, he ingeniously figured out a way, and, and uh, we'll talk more about it, and, and I'll let you finish what you're talking about, Mike, but using frequencies in order to knock down uh, those, um, you know, what he uh, termed virus and, you know, but or something else, and uh, that do become problematic. And, and in my business of biological medicine, what that does is it widens the um, window of opportunity in order to take care of the reasons how you got there in the first place. Now, what was brilliant about Rife is with his microscope, he could visualize things in such a resolution that he was then able to deliver frequencies that would uh, widen that window of opportunity dramatically and immediately and get people uh, out of the woods sooner than later. But then he also admonished, if you read a lot of his personal notes, that you still have to turn around the conditions from their origins. In other words, if you're, uh, you know, have uh, any level of toxicity in your emotions, in your mental, uh, you know, processes, in your lifestyle, your diet, some kind of exposure to something else that you're not aware of, you know, you have to change all that. Otherwise, you're going to be back in need of another, you know, rife treatment. So before we go on, one last comment, 
instead of wringing our hands about, oh, isn't it a shame that we lost that technology? And it is. What we have to understand is the larger context of what that technology was supposed to teach us in the first place. You know, we're all using a lot of technologies these days, you know, especially uh, uh, computer-related technologies. And what we should be getting out of these is not just conveniences, but understanding through them of the capabilities of our own biology because we uh, are incapable, it is impossible to bring forth the technology on any level that does not exist somewhere, uh, some blueprint already within nature. So if we are really astute, we say when we're you know, using our iPhones or whatever, okay, what does that tell us about nature and that technological version of nature that already exists in us and how can we take our cue from that so that we aren't dependent on that external technology? And uh, now R- Rife was getting into waveform mechanics and a lot of the things that we talk about. And uh, Walter Russell did the best job of uh, bringing forth an understanding of how our whole universe is a product of our own consciousness and, and why it uh, physicality seems so real. Um, so with Rife's technology, again, we can use what he brought forth in a way where we aren't even needing his methodology and his technology anymore, but go directly inside to uh, reproduce in ourselves the same results that he got, but even better uh, coming out the other end, not just with the same or better results, but with a change in our mindset that is not only empowering, but that would allow humanity to get on to the next level of uh, where we were supposed to be a long time ago. Yes. And it, like I was saying before, it all comes down to frequencies. And um, actually, as we get into it, um, we'll go through the microscope and then the evolution and, and some of the characters involved. And then, of course, we'll tap into the ray uh, beam machine that he invents on how as a, he starts targeting these, uh, you know, what he called viruses. But it all comes down to frequency. And it's interesting how um, with the Hertz uh, frequencies that he used to target each type of um, you know, bacteria or whatever, how it re- all relates to music too and audio. And, and as Russ brought up here, how does this relate to, uh, does this relate to Sherry Edwards, what she's doing? And of course it does. It all relates. So uh, we can talk a little bit about that as we get into um, Royal Rife's um, uh, gas uh, tube ray machine that he, he, he invents, uh, which I, I really want to talk with you about because there's some interesting parallels there with Walter Russell too. Um, yeah. And when you get to that, Mike, um, we really need to have a discussion as far as what Rife was actually using. He actually used a combination of direct electrodes on the body and gas tubes. Mm-hmm. And he used them for different reasons. And it's brought a lot of confusion into the Rife community yep. as far as what the best machine is. So yep. when we get there, let's talk about sure. uh, what he actually did. Yeah. And then there's that'll I'll also kind of go into the whole uh, Rife machine report where they talk about this in great detail which is amazing. I mean, they just had the new issue come out in January of 2020. So this stuff's fresh, definitely. I mean, people are working on this right now because there's another need for it because it's very 
obvious that the the war on the quote unquote war on cancer is not working, or it was never meant to work, anyways. Uh, but uh, just going back into uh, to Rife here, and so in the 1920s was really his golden years, where he was before the articles, those newspaper articles had come out yet, and he really just got to um, work on uh, developing his technology and his microscopes and develop his relationship with uh, Kendall and and Johnson. And actually, there's a great video um, by Truthstream Media, which I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Lando, but Truthstream Media did a fantastic job a couple years ago, just kind of summarizing everything and, and versus me doing it. I might as well, if you don't mind, I'm just going to do a quick screen share and play it real quick. Yeah, and hopefully it. it works because they do a fantastic job. I don't know if you're familiar with them at all, but um, they just- Vaguely, but yeah, uh, I'd like to see that too. Yeah, yeah. So they just really nail it on the head and then that we can kind of then take it on our end from there. So let me just make sure this is going to work. Um, and just let me know if you can't hear the audio. Can you hear it? I can't. Okay. Um, bummer. Um, let me see how I can do this. His lips aren't moving either. <laughs> um, huh. Well, I guess what I could do is just do this. Um, let's see here. He's a scientist and inventor, and starting in the 20s, he began building a large microscope capable of magnifying objects 31,000 times, compared with the maybe 1,700 times that were available on standard microscopes in the 30s and 40s. By 1940, he had invented a two-foot microscope weighing 200 pounds that included 5,682 parts, which enabled him to see viruses and bacteria in a way that no other scientist had at that time. And because these organisms were so tiny, he designed a method of staining them with light. And through this work, he came to understand that living things, including pathogens and viruses and bacteria, have their own frequency or oscillation pattern. And just like a specific musical note can shatter a wine glass if sung at the resonant frequency of the glass, he found specific frequencies can be used when matched up with specific pathogens in order to destroy them. And as he continued to isolate viruses and bacteria and locate their frequencies, he also claimed he discovered the virus responsible for cancer. Using resonance, or what he termed the mortal oscillatory rate of the virus, he was able to kill it in laboratory experiments over and over and over. He completed hundreds of experiments on tumors and rats purposefully infected with the isolated cancer virus before ever attempting to use these frequencies on people. In 1934, he famously tested out his device on 16 terminally ill cancer patients. Out of 16, 14 of them, all but two, were certified medically cured in just three months. Of his treatment, Reif would later write, with the frequency instrument treatment, no tissue is destroyed, no pain is felt, no noise is audible, and no sensation is noticed. A tube lights up, and three minutes later, the treatment's completed. The virus or bacteria is destroyed, and the body then recovers itself naturally from the toxic effect of the virus or bacteria. A little different Several than chemo, huh? Several may be treated simultaneously. His findings were at first widely published. 
In June of 1940, the LA Times reported, for organisms too small to be stained, an ingenious illuminating system is used. The system utilizes Reich's theory that organisms respond to certain wavelengths, a theory he carries to finality by bombarding disease germs with radio waves which are tuned to those of the minute man killers. And the virus he says occurs in cancer has, Reif insists, disintegrated under such radio waves. Reif was hailed in the scientific and medical communities for his discoveries at first. By 1937, he'd established a company called Beamray with several colleagues, and 14 of his machines were manufactured. Multiple doctors used these machines, tested them out, and saw that they worked. It wasn't just Reif's word. So what happened? Why aren't these machines in every hospital and cancer treatment center in the world today? Why don't we have them? Simply put, the only cancer Reif couldn't seem to kill was greed. Powerful opposition of vested interest in allopathic, that is the pharmaceutical and surgery-based medicine system, and the still infant cancer treatment called chemotherapy, and medical professionals linked to the Rockefeller Foundation with its deeply entrenched eugenics-based population control agenda, would make absolutely sure that Rife's machines would never be available to the public at large. This is amazing, watch this. If you notice an absence of stethoscopes, the mama does another medical paraphernalia, don't let her upset you. This doctor doesn't go in for it, he's got something better. She doesn't even have to undress. The machine will find out what's wrong. The modern counterpart of the ancient medicine man, He's traded in his boar's tooth and magic wand for an electrical appliance. But his stock in trade is still ignorance and superstition. <laughs> the 20th century witch doctor talks in terms of atomic rays and supersonic vibrations. He's what's generally referred to as a quack doctor. But somehow that term just doesn't cover my feelings on the subject. To me, the term murderer is much more appropriate. One such big pharma stooge was Dr. Morris Fishbane head for a time of the American Medical Association, and described by Bob Wallace on LouRockwell.com as a shakedown artist hell-bent on destroying naturopathic medical inventors he couldn't buy out. The story goes that Fishbane sent an attorney to make a token attempt to buy out Rife, and Rife refused. And although no one knows the exact terms of the offer, it was probably similar to the one Fishbane made to Harry Hoxie for his herbal cancer remedy, which Fishbane later had to admit in court worked on skin cancer. On a television screen, it must look very much like a jar of chocolate syrup. It's not. It's cancer, Sam, and it's deadly. It's killed before, it'll kill again. When it doesn't kill, it maims. It never cures. Fishbane and his associates would receive all the profits for nine years, and Hoxie would receive nothing. Then if they were satisfied it worked, Hoxie would begin to get 10% profits. When Hoxie refused, Fishbane and his political mafia went after him, and they had Hoxie arrested 125 times in a period of just 16 months. The charges were always based on practicing without a license, and they were always thrown out in court, but Fishbane ended up harassing this Hoxie guy for 25 years this way. The only good thing that came out of any of it is that the scandal ultimately forced Fishbane to resign. Fishbane also offered Phil Hoyland, who was an investor in Rife's Beamray company and an electrical engineer who helped build the frequency machines, 
legal assistance basically an attempt to steal a company out from under Rife and the other investors. And in 1939, a lawsuit ensued. And that was the beginning of the end of Rife and his machines. Unable to withstand the criticisms and attacks on his character and his life's work in court, Rife crumbled and turned to alcoholism, despite the fact that he ultimately won his case. But the legal costs bankrupted him and Beam Ray went out of business. And Fishbane continued to wield all the power of the AMA to halt any further proper scientific investigation into Rife's claims or his machines. Doctors that had previously supported Rife suddenly fell silent. One of his partners, Arthur Kendall, all of a sudden retired to Mexico after receiving a magical gift of a quarter of a million dollars from guess who. Other doctors were given large grants and AMA honors to keep their mouths shut and go back to prescribing pharmaceuticals. Major medical journals, which are all predominantly funded by big pharma advertising revenues, refused to publish anyone's work involving Rife's theories or his machines or any of it. And on top of that, Rife's lab was broken into, documentation of his work including photographs, and even pieces of his microscope were stolen and vandalized. Then, in what would be too much coincidence for even a Hollywood movie, the multi-million dollar Burnett Lab in New Jersey was torched and destroyed just as its scientists were about to corroborate Rife's findings. Police then illegally confiscated the rest of his research, and the story starts to have a whole lot of similarities with Wilhelm Reich, but that's another story for another time. And that is about it. Fishbane would go down in history with a prestigious write-up of his medical career based on exposing quacks or alternatively, financial enemies of Big Pharma's chemical and surgery-based medical model. And it wasn't just Fishbane. There was a coordinated effort to ensure that other doctors didn't even attempt to follow in Rife's footsteps. Dr. Cornelius P. Rhodes, an oncologist this is amazing. Institute alum and head of the Chemical Warfare Service during the last two years of World War II, spent two decades from 1939 <laughs> to 1959 as the head of Memorial Sloan Kettering, the nation's premier chemotherapy advocate, where Rhodes was helping to shape the newly emerging quote-unquote treatment of cancer with chemotherapy. He, too, prevented other doctors from even attempting to replicate Rife's work, pulling strings to get research funding canceled for those who even dared to try. Rhodes not only prevented Dr. Irene Diller from announcing the discovery of the cancer microorganism to the New York Academy of Sciences in 1950, but he got Dr. Caspi slapped with a nasty IRS investigation and her laboratory funds canceled after she announced a similar discovery in Rome three years later in 1953. Rhodes, it should be pointed out, would also go down in history as a potential murderer. In the 1930s, when Rhodes was sent down to Puerto Rico for the Rockefeller's Anemia Commission, he had a drunken night where he returned back to his house to find his car had been vandalized and proceeded to write a disgusting racist confession of both murder and attempted murder by injecting people with cancer to a colleague. He wrote they they being Puerto Ricans, are beyond doubt the dirtiest, laziest, most degenerate and thievish race of men ever inhabiting this sphere. It makes you sick to inhabit the same island with them. They are even lower than Italians. What the island <laughs> needs is not public health work, but a title with oh, oh, wait a minute. population. It might then be livable. I have done my best to further the process of extermination by killing off eight and transplanting cancer into several more. The latter has not resulted in any fatalities so far. The matter of consideration for the patient's welfare plays no role here. In fact, all physicians take delight in the abuse and torture of the unfortunate subjects. <laughs> Thirteen people 
died under Rhodes' quote-unquote care in Puerto Rico. And the Rockefeller public relations firm got into full swing, coming out to say that Rhodes was simply writing a fantastic and playful letter for his own amusement, a satire piece, if you will. Because as we all know, when you're just in a playful mood, that's the kind of letter that you write. Token investigations, including one by the Rockefeller Institute, ensued and claimed there was no evidence that Rhodes had abused or neglected his patients. But as far as history is concerned, you can believe Rhodes' letter hasn't been featured too prominently in his otherwise illustrious biography as a chemotherapy pioneer. To me, the term murder is much more appropriate. And today, how many so anyways, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So, isn't that? You know, um, yeah. Hopefully these guys are enjoying their karma somewhere right now. Uh, you know, when I was in naturopathic college every Friday, we had an assembly in the auditorium and I used to sit next to this old guy who's 95 at the time that used to just come and sit there. And uh, he loved to sit there and I really picked his brain because he lived through all those witch hunts back there then and talked about how he was just routinely uh, thrown in jail and, and just all the things that these guys had to endure uh, simply because they were doing effective things. And Nature Pass, uh, which is why I chose that even before I uh, you know, did that for chiropractic college, because Nature Pass were the original physicians of the day uh, before the Rockefeller Foundation came in and delegislated them uh, out of existence. And when I got out of school, they still weren't uh, uh, allowed in California and a lot of places. So uh, that's why I got my chiropractic license. So I'd have an alternative uh, license because the naturopathic one didn't work everywhere. But uh, wow. these guys, uh, what, what they're responsible for is just so mind-blowing. Um, it, it's well, just, you know, what's ironic too is who are the real quacks and the history of what the word quack comes from. I've told you this and I explained it on Telegram, but uh, the history of the actual terminology quack comes from the uh, 1800s when, uh, or maybe it was even the 1700s, uh, in uh, the south of the um, United States, where, uh, you know, there was mostly the world was dominated at that time still by homeopathic remedies and naturopath. But the idea of using chemical constituents was becoming the vogue trend. And so um, one of the main chemicals that they were messing around with, I guess, and these were the initial early allopaths, was quicksilver. And so they would use quicksilver to, um, you know, to kill off microorganisms and all sorts of things. And so uh, they became known as quicksilver doctors. And then as they said, the with their colloquial um, terminology down there, or the way that they talked, they called it quacksilver and they called them quacksilver doctors, and then they became just known as quacks. So the actual quacks um, were the original allopaths, were the, the ones dishing out the chemicals. And in classical inversion uh, that we always see in this reality, they've now been able to invert that concept of quacks to those original natural naturopaths and the ones using actual and real medicine. Isn't it interesting that in my childhood, dentists were putting that mercury into our mouths and saying it was perfectly safe, even though the amount of mercury in one single filling would uh, 
contaminate a 10 acre lake to the point if that amount was in there to the point where the EPA would have to come uh, in and, and shut it down and not allow the public to to go near the thing but of course they said oh well it's bound in silver in your mouth so no problem of course they forgot their uh, little concept called half-life you know that uh, you learn when you're a junior in high school chemistry I mean these guys it's the thing that's blow blows my mind forever is how, you know, because I started out in conventional, uh, you know, medicine and that training first, but how these very educated people just don't connect very obvious dots and see the incongruity and the fallacies in, in all their theoretical medicine. Mike, one thing uh, I want to point out in that, um, uh, that little video, that was awesome. I'm glad you played that. Amazing. Um, you I know, like that he, they, uh, did a, I, they, they did a lot of the work for us. So thank you guys over at TrueStream Media. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's perfect. Couldn't have said anything better. Um, Rife talks about the uh, mortal oscillating frequencies, and it does suggest that, okay, we're coming in with lethal frequencies to kill something, but that's not at all what happens. When, um, if you go to the level of waveform mechanics and you realize that's the, uh, the origins of all biology and all life on that level, when you understand it, you realize it's all about symmetry and asymmetry. So when organisms uh, become pathogenic, and a lot of times they're not pathogenic because they're designed to do harm, but they're designed to do a temporary job in the body. And there's a reason why these organisms, when they cycle into that uh, uh, form to do that job and they overstay their welcome, then they can become problematic. That's another whole talk. And with that understanding in biological medicine, then you know how to reverse that so that uh, these guys aren't creating problems. Now, Rife just went in and got them with frequencies, but the frequencies weren't lethal to life. And in that uh, little film you played, it, it tells very clearly that it didn't harm tissues or have any toxic side effects, the only thing that was affected was the pathogenic organisms. So the pathogenic organisms were obviously uh, overstaying their welcome to the point of being problematic. And so the frequencies were actually more mimicking the natural frequencies that run through nature. And whenever you subject asymmetry or things that are unnatural to the natural frequencies, then the unnatural ones die. And uh, that's, of course, what, uh, what Rife found. So it wasn't like you're doing some kind of warfare or, or, you know, doing a death ray into the body. It was actually the opposite. And the frequencies would be healing to all sorts of things while they, uh, you know, get rid of the so-called pathogens. And that's the difference between real medicine and quackery because they are constantly trying to make war on things and do things that have very real collateral damage, whereas real medicine will balance things out without any collateral damage and then also lead you to a place where um, you're no longer vulnerable to the same condition in the first place. And, you know, what Rife was talking about, that level of frequency medicine, the whole body oscillates uh, in, in a myriad of frequencies, and then there's a collective resonant field that's created by that. And uh, we have many ways in our type of medicine to um, extrapolate that from uh, chemical laboratory assays, 
from hands-on techniques that are thousands of years old, you know, that we get from Asian medicine, osteopathy, and so forth to understand, you know, by a real sense of touch, uh, you know, the asymmetries that are existing and then tell uh, much about internal organ systems and everything from it. And then we also have instruments like, um, you know, simple dual impedance uh, antennas that uh, will resonate the same exact way that DNA does. So when Rife was in there finding under his microscope what frequencies would obliterate the pathogens that were creating problems, he was actually resonating off of the DNA. And, and then, of course, this is, gets a little bit problematic with the conventional theory of virus because virus don't have their own DNA, but uh, whether you buy that or, or not, there's still pathogens that uh, had their own DNA or uh, incorporated DNA from other host cells into them. But the point is, is those DNAs, uh, just like this instrument here, you know, there's, there's two uh, parallel antennas. Now, in this one, I can adjust to any frequency that relates to, uh, you know, every phenomena known in the universe. This was actually developed by uh, engineers. It's been used in, in many levels of engineer science, and including medical doctors across the world use it that are trained. And that little, this little instrument here, uh, would actually tell us more about everything we want to know and discover and everything Rife was talking about. But it's curious that only a handful of uh, doctors, engineers, scientists know how to use it or understand it. But uh, the brilliant thing is, is when you go into Tesla technology, when you go into Rife technology, they're tuning into another whole level of resonance that is uh, much more refined. It's nature's uh, original patterns. And these things get overridden by all the electronics and the coarse electrical frequencies that are overlaying these natural uh, frequencies within nature. So that's why when you go in with diagnostic equipment, even in a lot of naturopathic circles, they have instruments these days with computer interfaces and so forth. You know, it's going to override the really good things you need to pick up on because these overlays interfere with that process. Whereas if you have... Uh, a non-technological dual impedance antenna, it will allow you to resonate. Because, For instance, if you, uh, sorry, I'm going all over the place here, but I'll, I'll give it back to you in a second. If you were to take a tuning fork and you and I uh, have the same tuning fork and we stand on opposite sides of the room and, and you uh, activate your tuning fork and I hold mine up without activating it, it's going to start resonating and making the same sound is your tuning fork. And that's the way DNA, that's the way all life works. So uh, when I'm suggesting that, you know, this simple kind of technology and what Rife was doing himself in a different way uh, was to beam off frequencies and then would create a, a resident uh, rebound effect, just like an echo, you know, when you're out in nature and you yell and your voice comes back at you. It's the same thing. It's frequencies bouncing back. So uh, that's the way he would be able to discern, um, you know, of course, by visualizing the organisms under the microscope and seeing what would destroy these pathogens. It's the same way that, uh, you know, I can go into, say, somebody's blood sample, adjust the, um, you know, the, the resonance level on the, on the instrument, mm -hmm. 
and then be able to discern any dimension of that waveform that we know ahead of time has to do with every level of biology and, um, and uh, every system in the body. And we have all the frequencies uh, that allow us to uh, fine-tune that instrument and, and to have a whole dialogue on a pure mechanical, mathematical waveform level. Rife was doing that in his way. Tesla was pulling these frequencies right out of the air with an antenna. You know, all has to do, all you have to do is mimic nature. What does DNA look like? It's two strands that create a resonant antenna and they're parallel strands and the DNA, it's of course in the helix form. But we get around the helix uh, by being able to tune in in different ways with an instrument rather than having different configurations and codes built in the DNA. And so that's where medicine should be. And what I was saying initially is if we look at Rife technology, yeah, it's a bummer that uh, all of that happened in his life. They suppressed him and his medicine and all the suffering since. But what we should take away from it is how the universe really works. And the fact of the matter is, is we have ways now to not only duplicate Rife's uh, understanding, Tesla's understanding, Walter Russell's understanding, but we can uh, far surpass what they were doing and not even need mortal uh, oscillating frequencies in the first place to kill pathogens because once we understand how it works, we realize it's all within ourselves. But then we yeah. have to prove to ourselves, of course, just like the old masters did in the internal arts. Yeah, so that instrument you're showing, that is a way to um, get the right frequencies. That's not actually how you would... It's uh, the most sophisticated instrument on the planet because in its simplicity, it allows us to uh, tune into and bounce frequencies. It can send and receive frequencies from any life form in, wow. in existence. And, and by understanding the, the human body and the different frequencies, you know, every body has... Um, you know, like in uh, Chinese medicine, they talk about yin and yang. Well, actually, that's, uh, you know, a frequency of 8 hertz coming from the ground and 12 from above through our head. And, you know, you want to see if that's balanced, if the body is receiving the dual energy, then you want to, uh, you know, put it to like 15.3 to see if it's if the body now is keeping those in balance. And there's all, you know, I could... Uh, uh, you know, tell you dozens of different numerical yeah. frequencies that allow us to go through and measure the lymphatics and measure how the body is symmetrical in the, in the, in the, not just in the uh, north south poles, but this gets into waveform mechanics of uh, Walter Russell. But you can see if they're symmetrical in the east west poles, and each one has a lot to do with where our consciousness is at. And in medicine, you can see, you know, if you're skewed up, down, right, left, if all the things are integrating, communicating, and, uh, and go about it. And you can do things instantly by just if you have a person or even at a distance, and that'll stretch people's imaginations. But you can even create balances uh, with this little instrument. You can also project frequencies from specific homeopathics or spituric forms and interject them in very specific uh, points uh, that we think of in the physical body and uh, also be able to discern the right remedies for people to take, uh, you know, not just say this herb is good for that because that's an allopathic approach, but you can match it against the asymmetries in a, per in a, in a particular individual's body 
and and then uh, go through uh, well more than a dozen just checks to make sure it's perfect and compatible and we'll take care of all the issues in that person's body where they're at, they're at on every level of consciousness. So back to Rife, he was one of those pioneers that uh, brilliantly uh, discerned uh, innovative technologies to allow him to get results right now and where we should be now is way beyond Rife, not taking anything away from him, but we don't have to wring our hands about oh, it's a shame that his technology was lost because, no, it wasn't lost. And uh, other people in other areas of mathematics and, and uh, you know, and, and other scientific endeavors have uh, proved this out in, in a myriad of ways, including mathematical, as far as how these things work and how the mathematical language uh, will tell you very accurately, um, you know, how uh, the universe creates and that how we actually have a very active uh, uh, participatory role in that creation. And of course, medicine, in my opinion, is deliberately contrived to keep us disempowered and away from this knowledge because we wouldn't need them and they wouldn't have the control to do the things they're doing to us right now. Yeah, of course. I mean, just look at uh, from that story we just saw the guy who really brought chemo to the forefront he was a murderer came from chemical warfare i mean can you think of a better analogy for allopathic medicine than chemical warfare <laughs> i mean and then you and you think of chemo you know um, first of all it's the biggest killer not cancer but the chemo and then what happens after you go into quote unquote remission uh the doctors will typically tell you um, you know, you're good for now, but this is not, uh, there's a good chance the cancer is going to come back. So we'll see you in five years, son, slap you on the back and then you're out. I mean, it's yeah. vanity. And, uh, the folks that desire world peace, you know, you have to understand you can't have it both ways. You can't be out in your peace marches and, and, you know, be desiring all those good things because there's never an excuse for war. There's never been one justified war in the history of mankind and um but then at the same time we make war on our own biological selves <laughs> so you will not realize world peace until we stop making war on all levels you can't justify war on one level and not have it on all levels so if we think we have to make war on ourselves, and that's why I really wanted to make the distinction with what Rife was really doing with these frequencies, he wasn't making war on pathogens. He was bringing symmetry back into the body, and things that are in asymmetry cannot survive. That's where we see in the world a lot of institutions uh, are crumbling, a lot of people are getting exposed for their disasterly deeds and it's because the asymmetries that they have been putting out there are now succumbing to the new consciousness that is, uh, you know, very rapidly descending within the planet and the population. And uh, that's why, um, you know, everything we're talking about, I'm not at all hopeless, you know, about a cure for cancer because it's, it's been under our nose the whole time. Uh, now it'd be nice if a lot of people opened their eyes sooner than later and uh, didn't have to go through so much suffering. And let's be clear, we're talking about semantics here, but there is no quote unquote cure for cancer because cancer is not a disease. 
cancer is uh is as we have that blog post it's just a word it's just a state of 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 consciousness and uh so we we get lost in semantics there in terms of even with royal rife and the idea of it being a, the bx virus or whatever he called it um but uh, as we know through what you're discussing in terms of consciousness and how that those 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 thought forms then interact with the central nervous system which then coagulates into these uh these different pleomorphic um interactions that then result in these physiological uh personifications um you know where it's not like the allopaths say where it's disease it's it's much different than that so they hijacked the mental plane with these word games like cancer so that we have a strong association in our emotional body with that word. Then we get the diagnosis. And I can't tell you how many healthy people I saw in my career go down the tubes in two weeks after they got the diagnosis, uh, just you know, incidentally with a, a routine checkup or something. And then that word, of course, uh, the, I mean, it's black magic is all it is. So then that word is in turn copyrighted so that anybody without a specific license that treats uh, a condition that is called that word gets thrown in jail for a copyright infringement. And that's why they get you. That's yeah. why a naturopath goes to jail for treating cancer without a license because it's copyright infringement. You have to know how our legal system works also no it's not for practicing medicine without a license it's you don't have a license to use that copyrighted word sure that's literally how the game is played yeah that's insane and we all know about the the legal system how, how so uh, should we how, go into the different so, types of uh, rife technologies you want to take it from yeah, there and i can uh, put yeah, my so, two bits in so a quick question so people from the peanut gallery are asking does does dr lando have a rife machine or does that was that thing you were just showing us give you that same ability? The thing I was just showing you has the ability in a different way. What that allows me to do is to create changes that will make the human ecology less or not susceptible at all to a condition that we think of as cancer because it takes away the reason why the body uh, instigates that biological process in the first place. It isn't a disease, but actually the cure. So the answer is yes, but in a different way. Again, Rife had a way to um, immediately create uh, a situation where uh, a process that was out of control um, for just lack of knowledge uh, was no longer threatening the individual, which is why he had such good turnarounds. Now, I do have uh, Rife instruments. I started using Rife instruments, oh boy, in early 80s. And uh, did a lot of Rife study and, uh, you know, went all to the source documents, uh, you know, which I had to do back in those days, which was a good thing because now there's a lot of stuff on the internet that's not necessarily true. And, and also because a lot of people are trying to sell their machines. So here's what you need to know. Rife's instrument 
his, uh, his actual instrument that delivered the frequencies worked because of one reason only. He could, with, in conjunction with his microscope, understand the exact frequency that needed to be delivered so that in a minute or less, that concentrated frequency would get right in and have the dramatic effects in any individual's body. There's no guesswork. Now, Rife Instruments, since then, because they do not have uh, the ability to work side-by-side side with a microscope, they have scanning features. Now, they are delivering similar frequencies to what Rife used, but they have to scan, and the best ones are an analog scan and not a digital scan because there's a lot of informational fields that a digital scan will not have the ability to tune into, whereas analog, you get into them, mm -hmm. uh, get, you, you get to scan everything and everything in between. The drawback is it, there's a lot more frequencies to scan. Um, so when you do a Rife treatment with uh, contemporary, either a plasma tube or, a, or one that relies on electrodes, and we'll talk more about the difference, mm -hmm. um, you're doing a scan of what some people have decided, okay, we think the mortal oscillating frequency for limes or for cancer or whatever is within this range. And then you play this range of frequencies through the body. And when you do, if you're lucky, and it takes a little bit of luck because you may not hit it, um, when you do get that frequency, it's for a split second and not for a concentrated um, effect like Rife was able to do by just tuning into that one and keeping it on there from one to 12 minutes. And then, you know, then it was a done deal in one visit. So if you, uh, let's just say you do scan within the proper frequency uh, range in order to get the one you need, you're going to have to sit on there for a lot of hours every single day in order to get uh, not only the right frequency, but a concentration over time to get a good effect. Hmm. I have seen, uh, you know, personally, people have some success with Rife machines, but it is kind of hit and miss. Some people will get help. Some people won't. And it's not because the technology doesn't work. It's because of the shortcomings of uh, technology that's available in present form. The other sure. thing is, is Rife would look at a blood slide and be looking at the pathogens under his microscope. And then he would use a ray tube to broadcast the frequency. And that's the only way he was able to do it, you know, in close proximity to the slide he was studying. And then that would allow him uh, to, you know, discern what frequency he needed. Um, he did use um, the ray tubes in treatment sometimes, but towards the end of his work in later years, he was starting to lean more towards electrodes on the body because the electrodes, once he had the frequency, could transduce into the uh, organ systems more powerfully, he thought, the exact frequency that the body needed um, uh, more powerfully than broadcasting it with a uh, plasma tube or a ray tube. 
not to say that those don't work or didn't work uh, because there were reports in Rife's time of people within a 12-mile radius of Rife's uh, facility all getting cured from cancer, yeah, even though they were never... Yeah, because he was broadcasting these frequencies, and he was using tubes that were very powerful. We got a and, we got a um, picture so, of the, we got a picture of one up right here. Do you see it, Bear? Yeah, yeah. So, and what's interesting is he used so in these tubes, and that's spot on about the analog technology, which we can get in analog versus di- digital in terms of nowadays. But um, he used inert an inert gas like argon, or um, but the, he found helium was the best, and that's interesting that he would use an inert gas to um, basically, um, he said helium was the most dur- durable, but they allowed for the ray that um, to basically um, as an, it like worked as an antenna, as you said, and they actually used x-ray tubes, um, but it wasn't an x-ray because they used the inert gas, um, kind of like a neon light bulb if you know that. So, and it, so basically it would just light up in there and then they could use that with the helium for like 10, 15 years, it would last. And then they would, they had it. So it angled the, um, I have a picture of it here. See right here. Um, it had just two wires. These wires were connected to two round metal bars that went into the glass tube and they had a round disc connected to their ends. And one disc was straight and the other was a 45 degree angle. And that's literally what gave it the little directional effect towards the patient. And it was shooting these frequencies out that they could dial. And what's funny is they were noticing that they started to realize that these frequencies weren't just like two or three feet away, as you were saying, and that all their bacterial uh, bacteria, um, you know, um, uh, test tubes and stuff were all getting um, destroyed within the whole laboratory. They were killing all their uh, the stuff they're working on because it had such a long effect. So what they did is they got in cars and tuned in on the frequency on an AM radio and started driving to see what the distance was. And they would be like, it would go in and out, but they realized they'd be like 12 miles, 20 miles away, and they would still be able to tap in. And so one of the assistants at the lab had this brilliant idea. He, he was like, um, this was the number five machine, which when they turned it on, this was in 1939, it broke specific glass beakers and all the bacteria in their entire lab. So like I said, they took it out and they drove cars out to see how far it would go. And then one of the lab um, assistants, he was like, man, this is so amazing. Why don't we tap into the local radio station and send this out with a much more powerful frequency? And then we could just have like all of San Diego being cured of tuberculosis one day. (laughs) And then like the next week we could focus on cancer. The next week, focus on syphilis or whatever and they could just <laughs> like using the radio stations be curing everybody um there would be uh beneficial consequences of doing something like that it wouldn't be as specific as what rife was doing because one frequency doesn't fit all that's why he had to uh spend his entire days looking under a microscope to find the unique frequency for each con- condition in each individual but there are general frequencies that uh, could be used very successfully that's absolutely correct you know um, I was just saying at the end of uh, uh, Rice's career he he did uh, start to favor the electrodes just because of the more powerful effect so um, 
Can I just ask something about before yeah. we get into electrodes with the, the tubes here? So it's interesting that they used inert gases because we know with like Walter Russell, with I don't know if you can see that chart behind me here, but um, he talks a lot about the inert gases as being kind of the, the, the central aspect portals. of the, the waveform. Yeah, portals. Um, and, why, uh, why did that work? Why would these same inert gases, why were they used for in these tubes? So the periodic table of elements that we believe is the backbone of our physicality is nothing more than frequencies and understanding electrical universe concepts. This would put everything into a very clear understanding. So as all of nature does, uh, which you can examine on every level of nature in the body, in our external environments, these frequencies that are represented by the elements they go through uh, um, um, uh, kind of a hierarchy, tiers. Each one is an octave, and then there's tonal fields within each octave, which represents the different elements in each octave. So instead of looking at a flat periodic table of elements, we should be looking at the one you have behind you on the wall there. Now, there's little portals that uh, are like the gatekeepers for each octave. We occupy the fifth octave. That's like the, the carbon backbone, uh, which is our level of physicality. Although we incorporate all the octaves into our simulation, uh, the fifth level is really the level of consciousness where we're at. There are a lot of people have demonstrated that, physicists and other types in different ways. And the gatekeeper for the fifth octave, where hydrogen first appears, um, you know, and also is the same octave that has carbon right at the peak of the waveform, like the sun at noonday, and it has correlations with Chinese medicine and so forth. The gatekeeper is helium. So helium is a very important inert gas, and the inert gases do not belong on the periodic table. They are another whole phenomena. The other thing, uh, the more we understand inert gases and what they really are, we would also understand that they're the memory keepers. They're the, um, uh, they have all the informational fields for that octave. And each one of us have our own overlays in our individual universes that we create within the whole. That's our prerogative. That's why we're here trying to get the hang of it. And um, so if you know how to use these inert gases, you can facilitate uh, changes within your own consciousness and body more readily uh, when you know how to use these inert gases along with other modalities and internal techniques. Um, I have a number of, um, of uh, uh, little mechanical devices that have... Uh, it, greatly pressurized of argon, krypton, uh, neon, um, helium, and so forth. And, and, and they're uh, internally in the chamber. They also have a certain kind of magnetic apparatus that allows a very um, uh, powerful energy field to be radi radiated out uh, 30 feet in a, in a uh, 360 degree circumference. And, uh, and then allow these frequencies to be used. We use them when we're manufacturing 
and formulating in order to create certain frequency, beneficial frequency changes in our products. Uh, we use them in uh, medicine, you know, if we're doing hands-on sorts of techniques in order to create certain changes more readily. So inner gases are very important things to understand. Walter Russell gave uh, the, the best description of what they really are. And another word for on an individual level of what uh, inert gases represent is they're actually the Akashic records. And of course, you have a lot of metaphysical or esoteric circles that are always talking about accessing the Akashic records. Well, uh, the inner gases are the memory. They are the Akashic records, and you can wow. make changes on that level of reality if you know how to use the inner gases. And that's also why people like Royal Rife found it very useful to incorporate, uh, you know, different <laughs> kinds of inner gases in his technologies. Wow! And to reiterate again, this is all analog technology, and that's something that. I've been stressing is the need to go back to these types of technologies because they're inherent to the true nature where digital is just a um, abomination of nature in some ways. And there, I mean, obviously we're on digital right now. Digital has its, has its uh, use and it's allowing us to do this live stream right now. But in terms of um, the grander sciences, uh, there's a massive movement of course, to go all digital and that's going to, be a whole other podcast that I want to do is the digital versus analog. What's the true future hold kind of podcast. I think we'd have a lot of fun with, but um, moving on here, um, you know, we had Sherry Edwards as a guest who's doing a lot of amazing things with frequency sound healing. Um, it, it becomes quite evident that this is all connected, huh? Oh, absolutely. One of the rife machines that I use um, is uh, works on sonic principles. So uh, there's a mother machine, we'll call it, that uh, makes audio um, versions of those frequencies, actually sound waves. Oh, everything's sound waves, you know. Uh, every electrical frequency is a sound wave, if you can hear it, mm -hmm. and it's, it's all vibrating, so it makes sound. But these are uh, more demonstrative in, in their sonic side, uh, and they make recordings, and then you have little playback units where let's just say we have a frequency range that we think is uh, might be good for limes. Then you uh, put in the recording into the playback unit and that has uh, transducers that you put on the skin uh, and there's different ways uh, you know to, to use those on the skin depending what you're trying to do. And then it plays those frequencies uh, into the body. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is, uh, you know, and Rife definitely understood that it was all about sonic frequencies. And that's another reason why he started gravitating towards using skin electrodes. And we're not at all saying that beam rays don't work or they're, uh, you know, not as good because everything has its time and place. But the more you understand how each works, uh, there are certain circumstances where I'd say, yeah, I, I, I prefer the beam ray. Other times I'd rather have the electrodes. So it's not a matter of who's best. If you really want to have the best effect, first you start with a good knowledge base. And then you have several machines that can deliver on every level of, uh, you know, sonics and, and uh, broadcast frequency and so forth. Uh, the, the, uh, just a little side note that's kind of fun, you, you'd appreciate this, Mike, is uh, in these little devices, you can actually put in your favorite music. Um, 
<laughs> and play that into your body. Wow. And then also listen to the same music audio at the same time. Uh, Voodoo Child is a really interesting experience. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're not only having that vibration <laughs> go through your cells. I don't know if that's how good that is for you. But uh, you're also listening to the audio, uh, and it's almost like a 3D music. Ex well, not almost. It is a 3D music experience, which is kind of fun. Little side note, some of you might appreciate. Interesting. Um, well, you know, there's the whole idea. Of, I'm showing here a chart here where he talks about the high sine wave RF frequencies because um, yeah, and how these would each tune in, right? That's the whole theory is he tunes into each type of bacilli or stuff, uh, you know, each type of bacterial form to counteract the residents, as we were saying with like the tuning fork idea. And so here they all are listed out for you. And by the way, I'm getting this all from um, rifevideos.com. They've got this report they put out for free. It's called the Rife Machine Report. This thing's massive. I mean, it, it has considerable documentation it, it, so if anybody's looking the whole point of the they put this out is so people who are trying to essentially bring the rife technology back and have as much information as possible to uh, mimic what he was doing and take it to the next level and there's um you know basically people that have done that as we were talking about with the uh with the newer versions um but anyways the uh, uh, go ahead just one quick thing to understand if you're you know, just take any of those organisms, just take Streptococcus, for example, and uh, that is a cyclical variation of an organism seed that lives inside of us that we call penicillin notatum. And when it, that penicillin notatum cycles into a higher valence uh, bacterial phase, in other words, um, it's going to look on a culture like streptococcus but that exact frequency maybe isn't going to be as effective across the board depending on the cyclic variations because not everything's in that exact cyclic yeah uh change if that makes any sense this, this taps it back could into be the variations coming and going sure. which could we uh you know um use some refinement that rife was able to discern by looking at what frequency actually killed the low bugger. Well, a couple of things here. So one, this goes into pleomorphism again, everything's shifting. And that's a, a, a huge problem with the idea, the traditional idea of, of cancer being a, a gene um, uh, uh, mutation, right? And so what they're doing is they're attacking the cells. And so, yeah, they're killing off cells, but then that those cell, it's, it's a much broader issue where you attack something but the, understanding that it's constantly shifting and changing into bacteria and even up upper to fungi it's uh it has to be a more holistic um you know approach that rife understood with the frequencies here but he was also a technician like he understood just like a great basketball player or a musician that sure you can have the instrument but everybody's going to play the instrument differently and um, I think what made Rife so brilliant too is not only was he a, a, a you know a brilliant scientist and he was also a, a brilliant machinist and he was a, a a technician and he he would spend forty eight hours straight. There's stories of him just staring, um, looking for these little buggers for forty eight hours straight until he got the perfect 
view of one when he knew he should you should go you know send the frequency towards so this is something that where the uh the person involved the technician is really important it kind of it's funny i just saw the movie um uh ford versus ferrari i don't know if you've seen that movie yet it was nominated for Kemi award whatever but the ford versus ferrari with matt damon and uh what's his name in it it's based on the true yeah, story it's on my list it's actually quite entertaining i mean as far as hollywood movies go these days um, but the analogy is with the um, God. I'm blanking on his name right now. So it's the guy, the other actor, not the Matt Damon character, who is she- Carol Shelby, who's the famous, you know, Shelby Cobra car designer from, uh, who's probably the most famous American car designer. Took on Ferrari, uh, but the racer, the guy who actually, um, who is now in the Hall of Fame and stuff. And this is going to drive me crazy. I'm going to have to look it up real quick. Anyways what was funny is that it was a great analogy for um, what we're talking about with Rife because he was uh, he bucked the system. He refused to play ball with the Ford executives. Um, and so they didn't want him racing because he kind of, you know, uh, thought the Mustang was a, was an ugly piece of trash and, and, and kind of hurt their feelings. Um, oh, I'm still on screen share here. Sorry. Uh, but uh, he, uh, what was interesting is, he was he was a car mechanic he actually was a car mechanic too not only was he a brilliant driver um one of the best but um he was also very hands-on with the vehicle so while he was test driving the cars he knew exactly what was wrong with what because he was actually the mechanic too so he wasn't just a a flashy gordon-esque car driver but he was also the guy literally putting the cars together and so he kind of like rife put both those together um, and allowed him to win the um, the famous car, the 24-hour Le Mans race um, with, uh, um, uh, let's see, uh, gosh, I got to look up this guy's name because now it's driving me crazy. Um, uh, da, 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 da. It'll come to me in a second. I'm looking it up. But anyways, uh, I highly recommend a movie for some of the analogies that play and, and bucking the the system kind of thing. And it's an amazing true story and it's kind of if you're an american kind of a feel-good story too because it's the old like ford taking on the fancy ferrari um and kind of also the whole idea of of driving for 24 hours sure they they took turns but still they'd be driving for like four hours straight you know in this crazy road at going 200 miles an hour um it's just a really fascinating tale of of what humans can do um but anyways, the Christian Bale character was Ken Miles, uh, was who he played. And now um, Ford executives did everything in their power to stop him from racing because he was just like, you know, he was his own person. He didn't play by the system. But in the end, they had to go with him because he was the only one that could really do it to win because they did go without him the first year and they, they lost. They got embarrassed. But it was all about knowing the machinery and knowing where what the, you know the boundaries of the machinery and and feeling it out and testing it i feel like rife was a master at that too at understanding like as you were saying as things shift as these little buggers shift and change knowing how to tweak the machine to the right settings to find them and he there's stories of him like when they started the beam ray corporation with boy with boylan the guy who ended up going the lawsuit with um the ama dude that we talked about um, they, he, they're all about, you know, marketing and, and making it consumer friendly, but Rife was like, it's not that easy. 
it takes a tactician. It takes knowledge. You can't just mass produce these things. And they, and um, he ended up having to go to the United Kingdom because they sold one there and they were just doing it all wrong. And they were like, your machine doesn't work. So there's a lot of subtleties to this technology. It's not just like uh, a machine you push a button and turn on and, and it goes. And so you need yeah, that and technician. And you have to do things in uh, correct order. Uh, medicine in its present form is inverted as it does everything backwards. Uh, rather than trying to find a diagnosis of what's wrong, real medicine finds the solution. Then when you get the solution, you know exactly what you're dealing with. Uh, when I discern uh, with the way I go about things, I get the solution first. Yeah. And, you know, it's difficult sometimes when I talk to people, they say, oh, doc, what you find in my labs or whatever, is they want to know what's wrong. That's just the way we're wired. You know, what's wrong? And I say, well, nothing's wrong. Here's what you do about it. And based on what we know for a fact you need to do and what the priorities are and how to go about it, I can tell you exactly what's going on on a functional level, not on a disease level. It's real hard for people to turn around that mindset. And then, of course, um, conventional docs will say, oh, that's, uh, you, you know, that's, um, that's a bad idea because what if something's wrong and you don't know it and you don't treat it? It's like, well, you guys spend all your time trying to figure out what's wrong and you still don't know how you got to that place in the first place, let alone treat it without creating more damage in the first place. So you know, we've, we've got to reverse our thinking. And what Rife did is he understood what Walter Russell, what Tesla understood, that we live in a frequency-based universe. And if you start from that premise and find the solution on that level, then you don't need anything else. Of course, you can always recreate problems out of ignorance, which is why Rife said, okay, let's take care, you know, not to repeat patterns it got you there in the first place but um you know let's take care of things at their cost and even in holistic medicine it's really uh, a lot of times it's really not holistic because we're treating uh with modalities and herbs and things that have less collateral damage but we're still applying the same allopathic principles of trying to correct something that's wrong kill something that's wrong get rid of something that's wrong and instead of um, understanding, well, first, if we're going to use that kind of thing, like, for instance, an herb, we want to be able to discern it on a frequency level and match that herb on many different parameters on a frequency basis and how that uh, brings symmetry back to a given body, not just use a particular herb or a shotgun formula of a whole bunch of herbs because we hear it's good for this or that. And then uh, where we really should be is even beyond that, where we can go right to the frequencies and maybe not even have to use a physical herb. For instance, uh, you know, again, with this and many other uh, ways, we can get the frequency represented by that particular herb or anything else and deliver that directly to the body in a waveform modification that you don't even end up having to take the stuff, you know, a lot cheaper, a lot quicker and the whole thing. But what you're doing then also is you're acknowledging that everything originates on 
that frequency level. And we have an interesting thing going on these days because a lot of the real um, front runners in holistic medicine are also entertaining more avant-garde ideas about the electric universe and our role of consciousness within it. But then at the same time, when they treat bodies, it's back to treating the after effects with physical means. And that has a time and place if you know how to do the right thing so it's working on both ends at the same time. But you can't have it both ways either. You know, we either move on and go directly to the cause, which is us, and how those causes originate from our own consciousness, consciousness, which create the electrical events, the polarizations, which you have to have polarization in order to create a resonant force field because when electrical forces polarize, just like the dual impedance antenna, it will create a vibration. And those polarized um, antennas of every single thought form are going to resonate and bounce off of each other until they, and they're, what they're really doing in that resonance is it creates a tension. Just like when you pluck a guitar string, now all of a sudden that dormant string uh, you know, has a resonant field because you create a tension by plucking it. Well, the same thing every time you utter a thought, and actually have, especially when you have emotional velocity behind it, then you have resonance. And what the resonance is doing is it's trying to find a harmony. And, uh, you know, that's what uh, um, Rife found in his work is how to deliver a frequency to um, get rid of the dissonance that was interrupting the harmony and the balance of uh, force fields uh, within the body that were necessitating the body have a biological response that, that we then call disease. So we really need to start, even those of us in naturopathic fields and, and um, y- you know, electric universe uh, kind of theorists, we need to apply this continuous throughout our entire thought process because until we do that, we're going to have the same old problems and, and uh, frankly speaking, we'll be schizophrenic. And that's the problem right now is uh, we're schizophrenic even in the, you know, within the best of us because we keep playing old mindsets and trying to make uh, you know, these new ideas work within the same old box. And wow. we've got to leave it entirely. Yeah, yeah, really, brilliantly said there. I mean, you encapsulated everything going on right now. Um, you know, Rife himself said too that because on that Rife videos site, you can actually listen to hear his voice. There's some old recordings, and uh, they have some clips. You can order the CD if you want. It's kind of a hefty price, but you can listen to some clips. And he says that he is a surgeon, and it's just that he doesn't use the cold knife. Um, and he uses with his rays. It's funny. He even says that by those that are going in and cutting in with the cold knife, you're just um, making the problem worse because then it exasperates the issue. So there's, I mean, just think about what our mainstream medicine does, even using a laser or whatnot is like, it's still so barbaric with cutting in open the bodies and digging in and pulling stuff out. And it's just like, come on, man, it's 2020. And uh, this Scene, uh, one of my favorite scenes in any movie is Star Trek Four, where they have the whale in space and uh, they project back to present time and Bones, the doctor, is in the hospital and he's looking at the surgeon's table and picking up saws and all this and he's like, my God, are you people that primitive? But that's exactly where we're at 
but because there's uh, you know a lot of fancy gadgets and everything, we we really think we've arrived where we aren't even close. And that's not just to demean us or or demean anybody else in that mindset. But um, the only reason why we haven't outgrown that and moved beyond is because of our friends in the um, conventional world like Morris Fishbane who have no qualms about uh, you know, destroying people's lives that uh, come up with the real solution and then uh, put millions of people through untold suffering for decades just so they can uh, be one of the boys or make a few bucks or whatever other kind of dark stuff they're into. And, um, you know, we see that playing out in society today in our political arena and uh, in the media and, you know, just trying to keep all the lies alive. And, uh, and most people, unfortunately, that still watch the media are barking way up the wrong tree and, uh, you know, not understanding that they're becoming part of the problem themselves or perpetuating the problem a great deal because they're falling for the, you know, for the same old trick, not even realizing that the people that are putting out the misinformation are laughing their heads off at how stupid people actually are. Um, yeah, I mean, sorry about all the rants, but this gets emotional for me because I spent many, many years watching the carnage firsthand uh, that are the result of these practices and watching people suffer, and there's no need for it. It should be emotional for everybody because I think everybody knows somebody who's gone through this. I we recently yeah. had, you know, my father-in-law and. Uh, we've ever. I think everybody knows somebody who's suffered and and died a miserable death because of this. It's it pisses me off, frankly. In 1971, Nix under Nixon, you know, they had the war on cancer officially initiated, uh, where they dedicated billions of dollars a year to finally, you know, eradicate cancer. And look where we are now. I mean, it's such a Ponzi scheme. Uh, it's uh, it's frightful. It's just. Uh, from the American Cancer Society to the Rockefeller Institute to um, uh, the National Cancer Institute. Yeah, it was 1971, the Congress Cancer Act. Blank check for research. And there's no, um, no money going towards any of this stuff, of course, because there's like any uh, massive bureaucratic funding system. You have to go through the gatekeepers and the gatekeepers due to a combination of hubris, uh, in, uh, typical systematic control, and also just pure evil, don't allow for um, money to be put in towards this type of alternative research, pure and simple. And so now we have yeah, developed a massive, it's crazy how complicated they make it all. You know, we're seeing it with coronavirus right now, and I think we could end on some coronavirus talk because we're get, coming up on two hours here, but I've been listening to a lot of these shows talking about coronavirus and all the complicated medical jargon about viruses that they've manufactured when it's really so much more simple. But they create this, and it's in all terrains, all aspects of, of science these days. But yeah, it's nuts, and it's depressing. So we'll, we'll never know the exact truth about coronavirus. But here's what we do know. We know it's manufactured. We know there's been a patent 
on this manufactured organism uh, owned by a company that was funded by Bill Gates. We also know that they've already got the vaccine, even though they say they're working on it because it already has a patent. And we also know, um, we can speculate many reasons why they would do this right now. Um, and it, too much to go into them all here because it gets into all sorts of geopolitics and certain individuals. But we do know that certain people benefit on many levels by unleashing this thing. So again, we're back in the arena of a manufactured organism, which is problematic for the body because it um, defies the body's normal recognition processes, uh, you know, and immunities and forces the body to adapt in some very unnatural ways. But the thing we need to take away from that is that even if you go in some of the hotbeds now where people are succumbing to this, not everybody does. And there's a reason why certain people are vulnerable and others aren't. So what we all need to realize is you do not need to be vulnerable. And there are ways to take care of yourself. And going back to the original premises of people like Bouchamp that we've uh, talked about is you treat the body, not the disease. If the ecosystem, and of course, this is the whole basis of bioterrain medicine, which has been my specialization, when the ecosystem is brought into balance, it can be impervious to anything. And of course, the ecosystem um, necessarily has to be under the direction uh, of a mindset that is not fear-based and it understands at least some rudimentary principles as far as how things work in the first place. So that's the first thing that we can do is we can educate ourselves, and then we can clean up our own lifestyles in a number of ways, and the ecosystem will follow. And whether it's coronavirus or the next one that they're going to unleash, and they've got more than one, trust me, um, you, you, know, you don't have to worry about it. In a very practical way, if this thing is airborne like it, it seems to be, and if it ever got to a point where we have, um, you know, maybe people around us that are starting to get it and, and you know, people are starting to freak out, uh, if I was uh, the average person out there, I'd go to the drugstore and get one of these little nebulizers. And, uh, you know, you can get them for 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks, depending on how fancy one you want to get. You get 3% food grade hydrogen. And, you know, morning and night, just take uh, a series of maybe about uh, six or a dozen puffs, uh, nebulizing the food grade 3% hydrogen peroxide. And there's a formula, you put that in a little carrier medium of sterile water and uh, nebulize that into your lungs, and it will make it very difficult for your lungs to uh, harbor any kind of contagion. So there are technologies that you can use and other ways that you can protect yourself if it ever gets there. I'm, kind of, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we don't have to go down that road because, of course, they will use it as a pretense to force vaccine and, you know, uh, 
all the stuff that we know has been in the works. Some of us have known for decades that this is where they've been leading us all the time. And of course, the vaccines, just like AIDS drugs, uh, in my experience, uh, seeing a lot of AIDS people diagnosed with AIDS uh, back in my career uh, years, because when that was really peaking was when I you know, had my clinic, um, everybody got better as soon as we got them off the drugs or uh, educated them so that they elected to take themselves off the drugs, rebuilt their crane, uh, train and the, uh, you know, the condition got better and, and left altogether. But uh, what we found in the process is that the medicine, the vaccine, uh, and so forth are always the prime movers creating the problem in the first place. They just have to convince us to take it. So if their original biological weapon doesn't get you, the other will. And if you don't succumb to a vaccine immediately, uh, you know, as far as immediate symptoms of, of a lot of the known symptoms uh, associated with vaccines, uh, then at very least it's going to uh, make you more vulnerable to things down the road. It's going to undermine your immunity. And it's just, it's also going to affect your central nervous system in a very real way where you just plain get stupider. It lowers your IQ and we can tell you exactly how it does that. So um, uh, no such thing as a good vaccine in my book because I've just seen too much evidence to the contrary. That's not from watching YouTubes. That's not from uh, you know secondhand. That's from actually watching the carnage firsthand. Yeah. I mean, the takeaway of this is for what we've seen with Rife, and we've seen with Bishamp and we've seen with uh, Wilhelm Reich and all these guys that had uh, were on the right path and people that you know, of course, um, that those uh, they're continually attacked for a reason because they're not because we know the real way towards health is not something that could be patented and, and necessarily profited off of in, in the control system like they have created. We also know that. In the end, a lot of these power structures are based around death and misery and fear. It's what they feed off of. And obviously, health is the antithesis of that. So the health systems are actually death systems. And so in the end, with the coronavirus and stuff, the, the posit couple positives that I stressed last week on, our, on the live stream I did was, one, they're coming from a point of view of materialism, reductionist, uh, particle-based thinking. And so because we can come from a higher point of physics and science and understanding, we're kind of a, a, we've got a leg up on them in terms of defending ourselves from their butchery and their kind of stone age science that they use. So that's a positive to take from this is that we know better because either they refuse to know or they do know, but they're trying to bastardize the real technology with these, these weapons. So um, that's something that's a positive. Two, what we're seeing is that really the state is scarier, that the effects of what's going on in China with the state control is way scarier than the symptoms of, of the virus or of this affliction of this bioweapon. So once again, very important to, be, to understand freedom and sovereignty and how that relates to your health is way more important than the fear of get, catching an illness. Um, and then three, finally, knowledge is everything. So just by you guys, people listening to this podcast, you are a massive leg up on most out there and um, just not giving into fear. 
and trusting in your body, trusting in yourself, trusting in your ability to figure things out. Everybody has to be on their own journey. It's not easy to know truth and to, to, to figure this stuff out, but it's empowering. So just by being involved here and listening to this talk today, you're doing massive, um, picking massive steps towards protecting yourself um, just through the knowledge you're gaining today. So I think that's a... And fear is the, the single most detrimental resident field uh, we can imagine. And isn't it interesting that everything is fear-based? Well, you got to do this otherwise. And, you know, all the if he's in the woodies and the shooties. And, you know, it's just, uh, you know, nothing's based on on actual solutions or reality. It's all what if. So um, fear is is really, I think, the real enemy to overcome. And that's why you just can't listen to all this nonsense out there. I don't care how many white coats or billion dollar institutions are, are saying the same thing because when you study their historical origins, you find that they are the source of the problems 100% all the time. So why would we turn around and trust anything they say uh, most of what I learned in school, which was all the best of their, you know, really top universities and conventional training and, and so forth. Um, you know, now in hindsight, I realize uh, I, at best, I got some half-truths and, and uh, at worst, a lot of just total BS and had to relearn everything through different circles. Um, you know, the only thing I got that was of value really was a lot of vocabulary so I could understand, you know, uh, you know, how their mindset and their systems and their medicines and actually everything works because I actually did that stuff. So, uh, but, you know, truth is the only thing that's going to fix this. And when you get into the understanding, which is uh, what this Rife Talk is all about, it's all about frequencies. He knew that. And the frequency, the, the real pathogen, uh, the, the king of all pathogens is a resonant field we call fear. Mm. So you just can't succumb to all the stuff they're telling us because none of it's true. Uh, they've proven themselves as, uh, you know, vested interests and deceptive at every turn with no qualms about uh, how much harm they cause. So why on earth would we trust the thing they say or one of their medicines? Uh, you know, my old field uh, for five years uh, within the emergency medical services. Yeah, there's, there's good things in crisis medicine and, you know, when people are in a life and death jam, hey, no problem with that. But uh, outside of crisis intervention, uh, they really don't have much to offer at all. Exactly. And so opt out, opt out of the systems. This is what we talk about all the time. Um, stop watching the boob tube, get off cable television, the networks. I mean, sure, entertainment's great. We all need entertainment, but there's quality entertainment out there you can find that isn't um, inserting these the, the fear subconscious frequencies into you at all times, which is what mainstream media does. But all these films and TV shows are all about, you know, impending doom and trying to stop it. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously the news um, and things like, 
uh, mainstream media in terms of the magazines and all the, all the nonsense, the newspapers, et cetera. Just stop ingesting that stuff. Get outside. Get active in your community. Find channels like ours. There's tons of stuff out on the internet that has real truth and real information that you can get ascertain that stuff from. Um, it is important to stay tapped in, I think, in the world, what's going on and stuff, of course, as responsible yeah. citizens. So, Mike, um, you did an awesome job today with uh, getting all that stuff ready uh, for us and for our audience, and I enjoyed it. Um, seeing some of those clips and some of the information, historical information that you shared. So we probably beat this one up enough. So what do we yeah. have? Uh, what's coming up next week? Yeah. So next week we have uh, the director of, uh, of, a, of a fantastic documentary about breatharianism. And uh, I'll, it's uh, the light documentary on uh, Vimeo. If you just go to Vimeo and search light documentary, uh, and P.A. Strawberger, I believe his name is. I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name, P.A. He's uh, Austrian, and he's going to be on the show, and it's going to be a really fun talk because we're going to get into all things related to these exact, uh, you know, everything we're talking about with frequencies and, and how energy works and how people are literally not eating or drinking according to, um, you know, a number of these, these real breatharians out there. And this documentary is great because it goes into a, it takes, you know, it doesn't take any dogmatic point of views. It just is very exploratory in the issue is, and, and taps into what science is looking at, what the more mystic religious traditions do and all different variants. And it was very entertaining. And so it'll be great to have him on. We'll have a wonderful chat. And in the week after that, we have Philippe from uh, Lola Labs on to talk about all sorts of things from C60 to different, all different types of technologies related to, um, exactly what we're talking about here, you know, different modalities and technologies for um, healing and, and maintaining that, that electrical zero point system that our bodies are. And uh, we'll have, um, we have um, uh, Levon Dorr coming on next month, uh, who's uh, the master of mushrooms. And so we'll have a great talk about all things mycelium and mushrooms, fungi, and yeah, lots of other guests coming on the horizon. So um, I want to do a podcast too about analog versus digital and where the future is going. I think that'd be a fun one, Bear. So got a lot on our plate. We've got this weekend uh, a local whitewater festival that we'll be at. It's the uh, Smith, on the Smith River here, uh, Boatsmith. We'll be offering up some, uh, there's a raffle that uh, all, um, everything, all the money that they're um, that from the, the fees to go and everything, all the proceeds are going to our local school's outdoor program here, which is great, which helps my kids out. So we're happy to be involved with that. So I'll have a busy weekend doing that. And so we're always staying busy. Lots going on. Our new website's coming out soon. It's, uh, in, the, in the near future, too, we'll have some people in the world of soil science and permaculture agriculture because we're already gearing up here, even though we're still in the middle of winter, we're already uh, getting ready for spring planting. Uh, our local permaculture guild uh, has uh, uh, once a month work parties. This weekend, we're going to one of our guild members and uh, 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 helping her with her whole operation where she raises mason bees, which are prime pollinators. So, um, yeah, that'll be fun. And, and I think what we'll do too when the weather gets just a little bit better is we'll take the, the GoPro out to some of these locations and, 
get out of the, uh, you know, our little studios and our offices here once in a while. Uh, next week before our podcast, um, and I, the Breatharian uh, documentary, I'd uh, really recommend, uh, you know, watching it. I actually purchased that online and watched it. I really enjoyed it a lot. Worth watching. And uh, so Wednesday uh, next week, uh, before our normal Thursday, I'll be on Jason's uh, shows in Great Britain. Is that true? Yes, you'll be on with Jason Leosatos to talk uh, all things coronavirus and everything that's going on with that, and also you know just free dialogue about the nature of disease and trying to spread exactly what we talked about today in terms of educating people about all this stuff. So that'll be a great show next week that you'll be on with Jason who just recently had Del Bigtree on and he's been really exploring this topic a lot. So that'll be fun. Hey, thanks to everybody for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the chat. If you did, please join us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Alpha Vedic. You can support us there. Uh, We um, are trying to put out more and more exclusive media on there. So um, when we have guests that have, you know, specialties, we've done a few on there with Mapillaire and Richard LaPlante and stuff where we've had uh, some wonderful uh, videos there just for our Patreon users. So um, please uh, join us on Patreon, support our channel. You can join our co-op, get discounts on our products uh, there. So uh, also if you join us on DLive here uh, every Thursday, DLive.tv forward slash Alpha Vedic, you can um, uh, tip us with crypto. You can also tip us through the Brave browser. So there's lots of ways to support us and the work we're doing here. We appreciate you so much. You can go to alphavedic.com for all of our information. Join us on Telegram too. And so we've got a wonderful community there, t.me forward slash alphavedic. But if you just go to alphavedic.com, you can find all the information there. Thanks everybody and have a blessed, wonderful day. Cheers.